Welcome to this week's episode of Church Unscripted. Um, if you like what you hear on these episodes, please subscribe, hit the notification bell so you know when the episode goes online. Um, like this post if you like the video um, and connect with us by commenting below. Um, this week, I've got Pastor Eric and Pastor David with me. Um, and Pastor Eric, you, you shared something on Sunday that I think was pretty profound. Um, we have this table behind us um, that you can see, but Eric, can you give us kind of a summary of Sunday morning and so that maybe someone that didn't hear it or uh, happened to miss Sunday morning sermon, they'd kind of understand the context of our conversation? Yeah, I sure can. So, um, you know, before I do that, I just think, I just want to uh, um, encourage us, encourage everybody that this has really proven to be a great opportunity, or let me say it, it's springboard to more conversation. So as we're yes. trying to have more conversation uh, on on during the week from Sunday, I'm hoping that this sparks conversation that, that they might have in their homes or in their small groups. And so um, our hope for you is, for those of you watching, is that uh, you will kind of take this platform and that you'll extend it into your own world. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for being a part of this uh, set of conversations. I'm, I know I'm enjoying it and I think these guys have too. Yeah. And so uh, thanks again. But so what we did this uh, last Sunday is we kept on moving through our series called The Table. And we, we found ourselves in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus has this very intense confrontation with, with a Pharisee, but probably more than just one, including people that are referred to as teachers of the law. They're kind of like the attorneys of the day. Um, and he created an analogy that that is easily understood, but when you apply mm. it to your life, it, it kind of hurts. Yeah. And so what I said is that Jesus' message in Luke chapter 11 is, is the one time that if you were there listening to him, you wish you wouldn't have been. Because if Jesus would say this thing about you, then it would be very hard to hear, be a very hard pill to swallow. He says that... Um, that the Pharisees, these religious authorities, they they clean the outside of the cup or the bowl, but inside is full of greed and wickedness. And the idea is that you might have the appearance of spiritual you know, purity and righteousness on the outside, but inside Jesus who sees the heart mm-hmm. is what David tells us. Um, David in the Psalms tells us, um, he understands that inside there's wickedness, there's greed. The mm-hmm. problem is that always comes out on the outside behavior. It's just that you can mask that reality. You can hide it and cover it up by traditional religious behavior and so forth. But Jesus doesn't miss that. And so Jesus' message was make sure that you, uh, the, the inside of you, your soul, your character, your nature is more aligned to the nature of Jesus Christ so that his nature can come out of you later on. I think this is what the New Testament refers to when it talks about fruit of the spirit. So if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, then your inside is full of godliness. And then all of a sudden, the fruit of the spirit will start coming out of you, which is the way that we have to identify the kind of nature in, in, in people. So that was kind of the summary, but wow. I, I, uh, I got to be honest, this Sunday was not a harder message to give. I think it was a harder message to receive. I saw a little bit more blank stares this weekend, a little more uh, uh, people looking at their watches uh-huh. halfway through. And I thought, man, I wonder if this is connecting. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think I realized, and people actually talked to me about this, that it's, it's the kind of message that you are giving. It's not a good feel kind of message. It was the Wait, kind of message. A, you had a bad feel kind of message? Well, it was. <laughs> I would use the word conviction. A convicting feel. kind of message. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and it was convicting for me too, because I had to evaluate myself and say, you know, is there stuff going on inside of me that's not aligned yeah. to the heart and mind of God? And what does that produce out of me? And, and I've referenced my own impatience sometimes with my own family and um, the way I can be a little bit hard um, with people. So um, that's one thing that I know I got to work on. Mm. Well, and and I think especially when you talked about the bowl, and yeah. you put the brands with like mayonnaise and ketchup the and mustard, whatever, whatever. So good. Oh, oh, yeah. that was just so gross. But um, <laughs> all the stuff together. But I I really like the verse specifically that you were referencing. It says, "Now the Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness." It's essentially like. Um, you're washing the outside of the cup, but you're drinking filth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, or you're eating filth. Yeah. And I, I, that is a very visceral picture, um, a very convicting picture. And so there's a few different images that I got during the sermon. So do you mind if I open up some questions about those images? Yeah, so, so you mentioned Jesus. You had this imagery of Jesus being described as the finger of God. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how does that resonate with each one of you? Like, I know, obviously you shared it, so it's got to resonate in some way um, with you, but 
Um, in what ways does that emphasize like him being divine? Like he's the savior, the Messiah, but he's also the third person of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. He's God. Mm -hmm. And so how does that emphasize that part of it? If he's the finger of God? You know, I think, I think there's two qualities of, or characteristics of what the finger of God looks like in the world around me. Number one, it's very clearly from heaven. So you cannot, you can't ignore the fact that this is something that is perhaps supernatural or otherworldly or definitely extra human in a sense that happened before my very eyes. There had to be some kind of divine power associated with what I just experienced. And the other thing is, is the, the impact on the environment around you. Mm -hmm. So if the impact is, is generally and, um, is generally positive and holistic and godly, then all of a sudden this supernatural holistic power is not of any other deity other than the God that you're familiar with. Um, and so I think it's the two qualities of having it a, a power beyond your ability, but also having an impact in the environment that is, 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 is powerful and it's, it's mind blowing. And that's what I saw. So mm -hmm. when they refer to when I refer back to the Exodus, it was the pillar of fire at night. Obviously there's no human that could conjure that, right? And its impact was, was its ability to lead people in the right direction um, to the promised land. And so, I think that's kind of what Jesus was doing. So how does that kind of impact worship, David? I mean, when mm, you go to worship question. and you think about like yeah. the finger of God, that's the way I could see you answering the mm. question really mm -hmm. is. Yeah, well, I think, I think some of it, um, I mean, we talked about it in the worship set this week a little bit. I think there's emotion that can be around worship. There's, um, there's like, there's uh, postures that we can take, but I think there's something that happens like when we witness the power of God, it, it takes those emotions to like a different level. It's like otherworldly, like how you were describing. It's a, like, cause there's sometimes we can sing and I can feel good after I get off mm -hmm. stage. And then there's other times like this past Sunday where I get off the stage and I'm wrecked. Um, and I, I would say that's like how we, how we can see the finger of God is that, that um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's otherworldly. We can't explain it. I don't know. That's kind of the way that I would say that in worship context um, to just have a, a raw encounter with a mm -hmm. living God. Mm -hmm. and, and to use kind of what Eric said, even about conviction, it could be conviction. The feeling might be conviction and it doesn't feel great, but it's still the finger of God or something, the divine interacting with yeah, us. Yeah. Um, it's not always, you're not always going to feel great. Is that, yeah, kind of we yeah, agree I mean, about that? that I, yeah, mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's I think that's probably the point of what people were saying about Eric's sermon is like, it didn't make me feel too good. Right. Um, and I think that's a good thing, like mm -hmm. to feel that, um, feel that kind of feeling. There's a, there, uh, sorry, Eric, there was fine. a lot of very convicting things in this passage. And so as I was reading through it and, and processing some of the things you said on Sunday, I think maybe people need some examples, some external examples or, or uh, examples of external appearances um, that may hide internal struggles or brokenness. Like do, how do people hide that externally? What are some examples mm. of that? Sorry, that's just something I, I thought mean, of practically. No, like, that's a great like question. If we're, if, we're, if we're not trying not to be like the Pharisees, we want to not be like the Pharisees. That's what I was personally like, okay, so how, am I not, how can I not be like the Pharisees? Like is yeah, what well, is on the outside, what on the inside? I mean, I think you have, to, you have to be willing to pray a prayer like David prayed in Psalm 139 when he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me to see if there are any anxious thoughts in me. Um, and I think if you're willing to pray that kind of prayer, not out of duty, but out of, really a, a sincere desire to be known by him, then I think God's going to honor that yeah. and he's going to reveal to you and you'll be able to hear him because Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Yeah. And so when God begins to move and reveal things because of the light of the gospel, then um, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see it, then you'll discover it. But that's part of why if you pray prayers like that, but you're not willing to spend any time in scripture, then I think you're cutting yourself off at the feet because mm -hmm. scripture is said to be um, a double-edged sword. Yeah. It pierces everything, even down to joints and marrow, yeah. and it discovers things. So um, it's, it's the, really the deep ask that you have toward your God. Yeah. And then it's also the uh, willingness to listen to the voice of God as it speaks to you through scripture. So um, 
I don't, I don't know if there is any conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life outside of what the word of God directs and, mm-hmm. and instructs. So yeah. I'd say that's probably the best place to start. Well, and so like, let, let me give you an example. If, so if there's a confrontation and I'm like, David, I just do not like how you're doing worship. That's a preference, right? Sure. But say I'm like, David, uh, I heard you've been calling me names behind my back. That's a different type of conviction, still from the word of God on my part that I'm hurt by that. But I think, I think there's a relational burden for us as Christians to expose some of those things sometimes. You know, when you're like, uh, this is not matching up, mm-hmm. but also knowing the right wording, the right time, the right place, rather than just being, oh, you, you are cleaning the outside of the cup. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. You, know we, what I'm you can't like, be like religious and stuff. I mean, that's what legalism does, right? Yeah. Legalism yeah. looks at you and just kind of criticizes. Well, and I wonder yeah. if that was if that was something that people started doing as a result of this because you you hear Jesus talking about, you know, you, you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you have a plank sticking out of your own sure. eye. Like, I'm wondering if if there was some of that, that because of this, like, oh, well, I want to make sure that the inside of the cup is clean, so I'm going to start, yeah. you know, picking off my brothers and right, saying, like, right, hey, right. clean the inside yeah. of the cup. And then meanwhile, I'm sitting here with a log out of my eye. I don't know. Right. Well, I think that's where we have the option of showing discernment because that, that verse I used towards the end in one of the take-homes, it was the Proverbs 27, um, yeah, Proverbs 27, 6, yeah. wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, right? I think there's another side to that, which is just as true. Wounds from an enemy can also be, be painful. And so even though somebody comes to you and, uh, and poses as a friend, the way that they challenge you mm-hmm. or encourage you mm-hmm. uh, will determine if they're a friend or an enemy. And so you can be, there are people who could look at your life and be critical for the sake of criticality. Um, But if somebody comes to you and in love says, I see there's something broken in your life and I want to encourage you to to find healing and hope in that, then that's a friend, even though it might hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And realistically, I think there's like the friends are the close relational. I think that's what you were kind of getting at is, you know, there's it's easy to look at somebody and make your own judgments. Like sometimes, you know, I'll see somebody, I'm like, man, they just, they're, they must be, you know, out of their mind or something. And then you get to know them and you're like, oh no, that's actually, that is their heart. And they just had a bad day or something. And I think the relational aspect of that is important when we're talking about um, kind of looking out for one another in that way mm-hmm. uh, to listen to the people that you have relationship with. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, do you guys have, do either of you have anybody in your life that can um, speak scripture and represent the Holy Spirit in your life so that, do they have the authority to call out or to spot broken things in the darker parts of your home so that you can be aware of them and then ask the Holy Spirit to heal you of them? Well, the first thing that I think is hard about that, and so I'm gonna speak generally and then I'll get specific. Okay. Generally speaking, most of us, I'm speaking big picture, don't have someone that lives in close enough community with us to actually expose it in the way you're describing. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think that we have um, maybe 10%, 25%, 50% that we hold back from others, that there's gaps, especially with men. We compartmentalize. Um, specifically speaking, a while ago, I've, I've done this a couple times because I've, I've changed people on this list, but I've got like five people on my list that are people that I can ask or share things with that I think on that, on that list, I can, I can trust anything that they say. It doesn't mean that they're ultimately God, but you just describe someone that can be the Holy Spirit in your life. And I think those, yeah. those people need to be in your life. Um, the list should not be 150 people. Otherwise you'll be anxious all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like, so I would just encourage people, if you're going to do that and you're going to open yourself up in that way, um, vulnerably, you have to have an idea or a scope of what you're, what you're sharing with whom, who, who's on your list. Um, if someone hasn't made a list before, um, your spouse should be on that list. Probably there should be a few other people, obviously. Um, but they also should be a list that both the Holy Spirit, so you bring conviction, but they also need to be people that are cheerleaders afterwards. And so I think there's, there's a balance of those two things because if it's all just conviction, I think most of us will be run over with this steamroller of intensity, just like, oh, you know, I'm never doing anything right. right. I just can't know. We'll sound a lot more like the Pharisees because we'll be like, I'm just going to do, 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 do. And we're not leaning into the grace that God has for us through the other person that just shared with us the thing that we need to change. <laughs> so... 
Um, I mean, I look at the Pharisees, it's, it's interesting. Um, in Luke eleven forty two, it says, they neglect justice and the love of God. And then it says, they neglect, uh, these are you, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And then he says, you love the best seat in the synagogues and market, greetings and marketplace. Woe to you for you like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing about it. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how death they are. I don't know if Jesus said that to me today that I would want to receive that. So really it's half about the person because you can have people in your life that are the Holy Spirit for you and they can not give up on you and still do that. But the other part of it is the repentance and turning turning your ways differently. And so that takes some time. So I was was gonna say it is, it it can be easy even in some of those relationships to be the, the clean bowl on the outside. Like, because we're not in close proximity as often as we probably should be. Like, I have a couple of guys that, that can speak into my life that way, but we're not, we're not doing life day in, day out. It, it takes responsibility on my part to be like, hey, like this week I, I wasn't a good dad or I, or I really struggled in this area. Um, and I have to be willing to reveal that to them so that then they can speak into it because we're not, rubbing shoulders on a day-to-day basis as much mm-hmm. as um, we probably should. And so I think there is a lot of truth to what you just said, John, about um, being open and saying, like, because if Jesus were to come and say that, I'd be like, oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, don't a know lot of people see that, but and yeah. it, open, it, it takes a lot to open up. And David specifically prayed for a clean heart, created me a clean heart, oh God. But you know what he didn't pray for is a soft heart, but I think sometimes we need to pray for that too because our hearts tend to be hardened. It's not just towards God, it's towards people bringing something to us. You know, mm-hmm. um, I did a, a practice recently and this is my kids. I said to them, what are one or two of the emotions you most hear? And he, you guys are at the, there was a pastor's thing a few weeks ago. And that was kind of the question we were talking about each other. And what do you think your spouse experiences in that? And like your kids. So I did that with my kids. Oh gosh, it was, <laughs> it was like looking in a mirror and I didn't like yeah. what I saw, uh-huh. you know? And they're like, well, you do this and you do that. And the emotions they were describing were not positive emotions. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wait a second here. Okay, is it always that way? They're like, no, but I feel that the most. Mm. And I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, so what did you feel today? Well, I didn't feel that today. I felt it yesterday, you know, whatever. So in essence, I think I think sometimes we focus on um, our spiritual walk as a switch. Like we're either on or off or we're either black and white. Yeah. And really it's more about, are we continuing to pursue Jesus? So when we hear something like that and we don't like what we hear, instead of being devastated by it, how do we move closer to the Lord? And how do we say, I'm gonna make changes slowly and incrementally. And I'm gonna ask the same question in six months and figure out if I've made any difference, you know, and Mm -hmm. and think about that. But a lot of the time, most of us don't get to the point of seeing that change. And so we give up and we're like- I think it's because we want the quick fix. Like we live in a quick fix society. Instant gratification, so, yeah, turn on Netflix, so, yeah, so it's it, like, it on. It's like yeah. when, I, when I hear um, like Sunday, when, when, they, when people hear this and they're checking the clock and they're, they're wrestling, they're just like, well, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, clean, I'll clean the inside of the bowl. Like get me out of here. I'm uncomfortable. You know, like, and it's like a, they, they just want out of the, the situation. Um, and so I think we do have to be committed to the long haul on especially issues like this. Like it's not, there will never be a day in our lives where there's not some dirt on the inside of the bowl. Yeah. And right. So, I mean, I think the good thing is that if, if you have an ear to hear the voice of God in your life yeah. and you're receptive to it, you can often avoid uh, somebody else being used by God to come and reveal <laughs> it to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, David's a perfect, not you, but King David's yeah. a perfect example of this. I mean, mm-hmm. biblically speaking, he was a prophet. Yeah. And he... Um, I mean, the, the Bible says that the spirit of God was anointing him and that he, the, the spirit gave him power and everything. So he had uh, the voice of God in his mind. But then when he committed the affair with Bathsheba, I mean, the Bible says that when all kings go off to war, he stayed behind. Yeah. So he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was bored one night, walks around on the roof of his palace. He sees this woman who he thinks is beautiful bathing on her roof, which is something she probably shouldn't have done. Um, but he sees her calls her up, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then tries to cover it all up by trying to have her husband come back from the battle. Um, he refuses to sleep with his wife because his friends are all at battle. Why should he enjoy his wife? Which is honorable. The That's right? honorable, right? <laughs> um, and then um, David, because he wouldn't get, he could not convince um, um, the husband to 
you know, go along with his plan, he has him murdered. Mm-hmm. And so on all of this, this, this kind of dirt inside his soul, mm-hmm. he would not listen to the voice of God to reveal it. And so God had to send another prophet and then call him out on it. So I think if, if it's actually kind of counterintuitive, but if we actually spend time listening to the voice of God through scripture and prayer, yeah. then we can avoid the embarrassment of someone who's close to us, who loves us coming and calling out some stuff like yeah. that. So the best way to move forward is to have that diligent time with, with Jesus so that you can hear his voice. That's a good encouragement. I, mean, I hope so, yeah. because I don't want somebody to come up to me like, dude, I got to call you out on yeah. something. And then it's just embarrassing. Yeah, well, that, I feel like that reveals more of the heart. Like, because mm-hmm. if, if, if the Holy Spirit, if you're not spending time with the Holy Spirit and he can't convict you of that because you're not spending time in the word and he has to bring somebody on the outside, like that's so uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. 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 I have a quick suggestion for people um, because... <laughs> quick so, suggestion? Wait, is this the lightning round now? No, yeah, the, there we go. Lightning round. So, I mean, a lot of times when we talk about hearing God speak and prayer, yeah. I mean, people just immediately go to, okay, I've got to carve out a lot of time that I don't right now have uh, for a lot of prayer and a lot of Bible reading. It's, it's people who are like, I don't even know how to read the Bible and I'm not sure we what to pray about. And so if that's a little bit of a jump right now for people, I'm, let me encourage them to start by taking some drive time and instead mm-hmm. of listening to the radio or making phone calls or podcasts, spend the 10 minute drive to work just in prayer. You don't have to worry about thinking of what to pray about for an hour or anything like that, but just start by praying for 10 minutes on the way to work and then pray out loud. Nobody can hear you. Nobody's going to know what you say. It's um, only when you stop at the stoplight and they people, see you raving and they're yeah. like, oh, they must have their Bluetooth. Yeah, scene, that's it. Right? So they wouldn't even know that you're praying. Um, and so you have this very private, quiet, uninterrupted time to just pray and say whatever you want to. And if you start out by saying, uh, God, show me some stuff in my life that that is not pleasing to you. Anything that's in my heart that's anxious or unfavorable to you. And I think God has the ability uh, to reveal that in very subtle ways so that you are clear on what that is. And, and so many times he has brought to my attention things that I've said to my wife or kids that I, you know what, I need to call her and say, I'm sorry, that just happened last week. Um, or something that, that happened with, with perhaps one of you or a staff member. Yeah. And I think the Holy Spirit has the ability to do that if you're willing to listen. Yeah. That just might be an easy way to start. Yeah. So you emphasize something on Sunday that I, I don't want to pivot too much from that thought, okay. but you emphasize what controls our homes or our inner selves. And so how does the state of our souls influence our outward appearance and things like that? So like... Um, is it sometimes revealing how people speak to each other and then you know what's going on in their soul? Does that make sense? So like the, the Pharisees thought they could cover it up on the outside, mm-hmm. but then inside they were, you know, a brood of vipers or the things that Jesus calls them and you're just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. But it was clear that their character didn't match what was on the outside. And so they were vicious with each other or they were gossipy or vindictive or, you know, they, the things they did to Jesus is just horrifying. It's like, uh, you're the religious ones and this right. is how you're treating him. So, right. so how, does, how does what controls our homes or our inner selves, like how does that um, affect our outward? Oh my parents? goodness. Dude, I really love that question. And I, I want to hear from you, but I've got some exciting stuff, I think from scripture that I've discovered. Go for it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, so I, I think as you, as you read scripture, especially as you get into the new, in the new Testament, where it is the, the launch of the church age, the church age is defined by the post crucifixion resurrection, but then the, um, but then the reception of the Holy spirit This is when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a helper who will lead you into all truth and so forth. Um, Jesus of course is the example of what life looks like when the Holy spirit lives inside of you. It's not just the spiritual status of God taking the throne of your home, but it's also the ability, the insight, the discernment, the Holy spirit gives you by perceiving what's around you. And so what's fascinating as, as Jesus encounters different people, it's as if the Holy Spirit inside Jesus recognizes the spirit inside other people. So when he crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, they come to a region the Bible calls um, the region of Gennesaret, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gerasenes, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they encounter a man who is demon-possessed. And if you were encountering this man, you would see that this guy's out of his mind. He's crazy. Um, he was naked, bleeding, cut himself all the time and super strong because chains couldn't hold him. And he lived in the tombs. 
And so we would look at that guy and be like, man, this just guy is just crazy. But the moment that this man saw Jesus, the, the legion of demons inside of him, which is 6,000 demons inside the man, immediately recognized the spirit inside Jesus. And they had that encounter. And I think the closer that you get to Jesus, the more discernment you have in recognizing the spirit inside other people. And there's just something when you're around them, regardless of what they say, there's just something about them that doesn't settle well with you. And you're like, you know, I don't know if I should trust that. Uh, I, I don't know. Am I speaking crazy here or does this set, ring a bell I, yeah. for you? I mean, yeah. I mean, discerning spirits is one of the gifts of the spirit too as well. So some people yeah. are obviously better at that than others, you know. Right. But I think there, no, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, David, what, what do you think in your experience or... Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, I think uh, a lot of times for me, like on that front, like I think by the way that I respond to certain situations reveals the heart that's within me. So even if I'm even if I'm responding like either verbally or body, you know, mm -hmm. posture, whatever, uh, that to me reveals my own spirit to me that I that I'm like whoa that was a little harsh or that was a little arrogant or I'm a little angry or what, like what's the cause of that? So I feel like, I mean, that's what you said is a hundred percent true. I think that we have the ability through the power of the Holy spirit um, to be able to discern that in other people um, and to be able to know how to address it with mm -hmm. grace. Um, but also I think seeing it in ourselves too. I don't, I don't know if you guys can, resonate with that if you ever yell at your kids or not but you're like why am i yelling it doesn't matter like mm -hmm. it's not a big deal yeah um and it reveals like oh i, I do have a, a an identity crisis in this area mm -hmm. or whatever that is so well i think i think you're flipping that on its head i mean eric you were talking about discerning in others but i right. really think there is some holy spirit discerning conviction in in yourself um, if you're self-reflective about your actions, like, oh, I did not handle that well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first thing I think we struggle with though in that moment is we might know that we didn't handle it well. We might have the right intent, mm -hmm. but then it's really hard to unwrap like, okay, who do I need to go to? What do I need to say? How do I reconcile this? Mm -hmm. Does the other person even care? Yeah. Sure. You know, maybe they've always heard someone talk to them this way. I don't know. But like it, that conviction right there, we usually stop there because of our pride. Yeah. And I've, I think there's- I've had to- combat that by being an extra repetitive person if that makes extra re sense repentative oh mr no, holy pharisee i'm just saying like i i some so often i could find myself like getting frustrated and responding to a situation and just being like oh well they understand because i disagree with them they disagree mm -hmm. with me they'll understand it's fine and i brush that off and i'm like but you know i did kind of speak harshly and so I do need to just say like, hey, are we good? Like, did that offend you? And I think if we go out of our way to just sit, like check in on people, that when we do have those moments of like, that's not the kind of inside that I want to have. And so I'm sorry if it did hurt you. If it didn't, great, <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. let's move on. But I think mm -hmm. that is something that I've had to work on because of my natural bent to be an easily frustrated and angry person so whoa, whoa, whoa okay pause for a second those of you that know pastor david you're an easily frustrated and angry person okay we got to move on to another question yeah, i'm just, I'm I'm just, just in saying, shock i'm, just I'm saying, in shock here it, uh, that's something i wrestle with my whole life well i know didn't you didn't you say once you were like the beat up kids on the schoolyard kid no. didn't you say that or something i don't remember no, something I, had, like I had i had i had fits of rage fits of rage that sounds even worse with athletic He's events not beating people up on the playground on the playground okay okay all right well so Let's uh, let's unpack your germophobianess, okay? So <laughs> yeah. if if you were here Sunday with us, um, you talked about germophobe and cleansing, and so you emphasize the importance of like washing hands before yeah. eating for both like physical and spiritual cleanliness. And um, there's this idea that okay, that's a ritual, but what is the symbolism behind it? So what does that mean practically in our context, like in everyday context today, yesterday? For modern Americans, what does that look like? What does it look like to have a um, uh, 
Mm. It's not just about hygiene. Mm-hmm. It's about like, what does a spiritual cleansing look like? And what does that symbolize? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I don't think in any way it was like what the Pharisees were suggesting. Because they were suggesting- your elbows or something? Or like, what did they uh, do? Do you? No, that's no. what they did. They would wash to their elbows and stuff, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. They did that. No, I don't do that. That's <laughs> uh, like, so, as long as my hands are clean. That's yeah, that's all I care about. So, I mean, so their perspective was was a weird interpretation of the marriage of physical reality and spiritual reality. So they, of course, believed that if your hands were dirty and then you touched food that they then consumed, not only the food, but now your body is unclean. Mm. And therefore you are now spiritually, because they believe that what you consume physically is what determined your spiritual reality. And so that's why Jews cannot walk over a dead carcass. They can't touch a dead carcass. Um, they is that why we're eat. not supposed to eat donuts? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, donuts are too delicious. So we're going to, Spiritual we're reality. Donuts out of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. We're going to keep those in the in the plan. Uh, but Jesus um, worked hard to reclaim true reality of spiritual vitality. Mm-hmm. And so, what his suggestion was, it's not what you put in the body that then goes out of the body that makes you spiritually unclean. It's what goes into your soul, what goes in your heart. It's your it's your mentality and attitude towards God and so forth. And so, two totally different realities. Now, I think the symbolism of washing your hands before a meal mm-hmm. relates to a reality of of spirituality. So what's really cool about the Old Testament to the New Testament is that the Old Testament is defined as a shadow. The New Testament, or specifically Jesus, is the reality. So what is the shadow that points to the reality? And when you physically wash hands to be clean before a meal, it's similar to making sure that when you approach God, you there's a spiritual cleansing. And so it's recognizing what Jesus did for you. And so I wash my hands, um, pardon the crudeness of it, but it's the reality of it in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible promises that his blood covers over all of my sins, Mm -hmm. the spiritual dirt on me, so that when I approach my heavenly father in his throne room, I'm spiritually cleansed to do that. So it's an invitation, um, not just an, an opportunity. Yeah. And I think there's, that's the symbolism that the Pharisees really kind of mixed into reality. Got, yeah, I, I was thinking of like the, um, I don't remember exactly how you phrased the original question, but I was thinking about the tabernacle and the different processes they went through mm-hmm. to cleanse themselves. And then like the closer you got to the presence of God, the Holy of mm-hmm. Holies, like only one person could go in there, right? And so there is this, there is this cleansing process um, that we see throughout scripture and I think it is, I think just to go along with what you shared, Eric, that um, I think we are cleansed when we recognize the presence of God in our lives. And um, I think a lot of times we can, in our human minds, we can tend to think that, well, if I just pray more, if I just read scripture more, if I just uh, love people more, if I just do check all these boxes, if I, if I wash my hands enough of all these spiritual things, then I'll be clean. Mm-hmm. And, and we're actually missing the fact that we're already clean and we're operating from that. And so, um, I don't know, I was just kind of thinking about that connection between the tabernacle being a process. And I think um, there is a process in the New Testament. It's just recognizing the presence of God that you're saved and forgiven, set free, and then continuing to live in that. Right, right. Paul speaks about this in, I just lost it. There it is. Paul speaks about this in Romans and um, he's trying to, to clarify theology of salvation. Whereas uh, the Jews began to believe that by following the law, which included ritual purity, right? right? Was the way that they became righteous. So if you don't wash your hands before a meal, that means that you are no longer righteous. So it became, as we learned this week, Jesus said a burden that they could not even bear. Nobody could live that way. But when Paul writes um, Romans, he says, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You're not righteous by washing your hands. Um, rather through the law, we became conscience of our sin. And so the fact that I need to wash my hands before my meal reveals to me mm. that there's something wrong that needs to be um, 
you know, resolved. But then he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And then he goes in to talk about how there's faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So there's again, the shadow, the symbolism that points to a greater spiritual reality that is not satisfied in the symbolism or the shadow. It is satisfied in the reality of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, it's kind of a complicated theology that if you are stuck in, in this weird, Jewish Old Testament theology, it might be hard for you to make the jump, but well, Jesus had become clear. I, I think we do have what I would call modern day Pharisees. We think of it like this, like the person that hears all of what we just talked about and says, but Pastor Eric, I go to church every week, but Pastor Eric, I do this. And I think sometimes when we start saying that those things are leading to something deeper spiritually without taking into, into account that Jesus asked for our hearts not just our external appearances, not just, I, I don't think God's asking us for church attendance. I know, is that blasphemous well, I mean, in no, the no, church? Well, no, no, let's, let's go there. I mean, let's get really practical. So if somebody goes to church, whether it's irregularly or every single Sunday, if you do that so that you can be righteous, you're a Pharisee. But if you go to church because you already have righteousness, then you're like Jesus. Through Jesus Christ. If yeah. you go to church and you care more about what somebody is dressed like than what's going on in their hearts, you're more like a Pharisee. But if you go to church and you see someone dressed perhaps less dressy than you are, but you're just glad they're there to experience Jesus, you're more like Jesus. Um, if you come into worship, Mm-hmm. and you care far more about the genre than the language that you are saying before God in the community of believers, then you're a Pharisee. But if you can handle a different genre that you don't really like normally, but yet you can still worship because it elevates your words to the throne room of God, then you're more like Jesus. So, I mean, there are some very real time implications of what a Pharisee's perspective mm-hmm. compared to what Jesus' perspective looks like in, mm-hmm. in our day. So, David, just as a as a caveat to that, how many times are you told to turn it up or turn it down on a Sunday? Uh, a lot depends. Just a lot, but but no. But <laughs> I, I don't saying, know if that's a fair thing. That might be a like hearing. That, thing. That, no, because, that is yeah, a yeah. hearing thing. No, yeah. but but I'm I'm just the re, the point I'm trying to make is we all have nuances of how we experience God in a worship service, and I think sometimes it takes time to process stuff. I mean. I've gone and heard something that is really convicting and it takes me months to unpack it in my soul and my heart. So I think sometimes we're a little too hard on ourselves and it may be, Eric, I hate to say this, one every, if one of every eight sermons convicts us, then we actually might be heading in the right direction. Does that make sense? I mean, we hear one every week, but if one out of, if we actually applied everything that you're sharing with us- Every week? <laughs> If we yeah, did every week, I, I, I think <laughs> I think there's some panic to it. I mean, yeah. it, you that, could that you could be the best anxiety. orator ever. <laughs> you could you could be Charles Spurgeon, or people talk about Jonathan Edwards, or you could talk about modern day contemporary versions of that. But like, it it definitely is um, transformative over time. It takes time to do that, and so I. I've got a, a question because we have a table that's finished back here that they just, you know. Not quite finished. Well, it's not quite finished. In the process. It's got no legs. It's, it's got no getting legs. getting there. We're getting there. So you discussed the power of a finish revealing the inner beauty of the wood, okay? Yeah. And I mean, and this table looks amazing back there. And so when you talked about that, how can that analogy that you described be extended to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ? How does, what role does the Holy Spirit have in finishing hmm. us and transforming us? Um, I feel like some of us are not even that kind of table yet. We're still the rough wood. Mm-hmm. We still have the sharp edges that you shared a few weeks ago, but now we're looking to have this happen to us. How are we gonna do that? So, so my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter is 13 years old. Um, I have always, since the moment she was born, thought she was gorgeous. I've always thought it. But what's really interesting is that the older she is becoming, now that she's a teenager, I'm starting to realize there's new, new beauty showing up all the time. Not just physically, but in her um, personality, um, in her interests. So I guess she just continues. And just this true for all my kids, they continue to get more attractive and more beautiful the older they get. Now that's, that could also be true the other way. I mean, the older you get, you can become more or less attractive and more brash and those kind of things. But I, I just look at my kids and I see that they get more attractive the older they get. 
but it doesn't mean that they were never not beautiful. I think, I think what this means is, is that when you start a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit shows up in you, mm-hmm. the moment of your salvation, you are spiritually beautiful. Yeah. spiritually attractive, but the Holy Spirit, it's called the process of sanctification. Um, he makes you continually more like Jesus the longer you walk with him and therefore you become more spiritually attractive. And I think this is, it's related to something, you have to remind me where, I'm, where this is from, but I believe this is, it's a challenge that is given to women who are called to, to present themselves like Abraham's wife, Sarah. That our beauty does not come from outward adornment, like gold earrings and necklaces and expensive clothes and stuff. But help me with the language, with the beauty of an inner and quiet spirit. Well, you know what I'm talking about? I, I believe that's it's, that's it's just about it. Gentle, yeah. quiet spirit, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So I me, mean, what he's saying is the most beautiful woman out there is not the person who's got the best makeup, jewelry, or clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the person who has the Holy Spirit that creates this this atmosphere around that woman that makes them extremely attractive. Have you been, um, it, it might be too, too much of a generalization, but I, I think this is true. I'm, not I'm waiting just for the, what he's going to say okay. now. <laughs> I, I don't think it's just true of women, but I think it's true of men as well. And that is the older you get, you either become, as you age, mm. you either become more bitter mm. and crotchety mm. and grouchy and mean, or you become more gracious and more loving yeah. and more gentle. Yeah. And so, I think you can spot that the older somebody gets. Is that so true? So you've never seen the movie Grumpy Old Men? I that's mean, not what grumpier I'm old men? I mean, <laughs> that's... No, no, yeah, it is yeah. what you're talking about. They got grumpy because they, they got old. They did. They were crotchety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just mentioned crotchety, bitter. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even remember the movie. I just know the title. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. that's kind of what it was. Yeah. I, 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 do think, I do think there's a fork in the road at some point. You have, you have some sort of existential crisis in your faith where you decide you're going to get stronger in your faith or you're going to be weaker in your faith. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by weaker is you're going to give in to whatever that temptation is mm-hmm. to, to become bitter, to hold things against people, to be like, oh, Jesus, you paid for my sin on the cross, but you didn't pay for all my sin because I still want this sin. You have to make a decision, a concerted decision to not fight battles that you used to fight when you were younger. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things because um, I find that we either start fighting more battles or we fight less battles. Mm. And the people that I find have the most joy as they age, especially the finishing process or the people that fight less battles. Um, sometimes it's the people that have gone through the most. Mm. I mean, um, I, I think of people that I'm like, wow, they've been through so much more physically or emotionally or spiritually than I have. And they have so much more joy. And I'm like, what, what is going on there? And I, I, I can't help but think that they don't fight battles that don't matter anymore. Things that are not of external significance, they're just like, oh, well, it's not my preference. I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think if the church was filled with people with that mindset, mm-hmm. I bet you, uh, churches all over the country would be filled with people that are, are repenting and coming mm-hmm. to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. because of seeing that, mm-hmm. because that's how we love each other yeah. and that's how we care for each other. So to pivot generally again, um, I think the community of Christ, if we are not going towards that finishing and that transformative power, we're really gonna struggle. I mean, the most attractive people on the planet ought to be followers of Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Um, and again, I'm not talking about physical appearance. Yeah. I'm talking about this sense that comes out of you. So yeah. that's a good question. Here's your question. Yeah, that's it. Well, <laughs> so uh, if you don't mind, I, I really do like the lightning round we did last week. And I want to make it even more fun for you. More lightning this time? Or it, just keep it an actual lightning round. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is something I think you can answer in 60 seconds. Not 30. I'll give you 60. doesn't feel like a lightning round. It's... This is a slow shot. 10 seconds? 10 seconds. In your opinion, I want Eric to answer this because I want to see what he's going to say. In your opinion, why do you think the Pharisees and teachers of the law who are knowledgeable about the Old Testament and prophecies failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Uh, They were blinded by their power. That was five seconds. You're welcome. Right there. You're welcome. He stole my answer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's see. Uh... I got another one. Okay, so Eric, you expressed some gratitude on Sunday. All these on me for some reason. Yeah, about being able to transform and change us in the likeness of Jesus. No, it's because you preached. You guys both can answer this one. So um, can you explore the process 
of this transformation and how it affects our relationships and interactions with others? Like what's, how do you go along that process? We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit transforming us, other people transforming us. So what's the process? Like, how do we start? You kind of mentioned God's word, but I mean, let's get it down to the Joel Osteen five steps. Okay. Can we do the five steps of transformation or something? I don't something? know if I have those okay, five steps. Can you ask the question again? Cause I okay. feel like you asked like three questions. Okay. Mm. The question is, can you explore the process of the transformation and how it affects our relationships and interactions with others? Like if we're being transformed, like, I mean, I can give you a one word answer. I think more humility, like Wait, humility. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's, it's a, a one size fits all kind of answer because I mean, if discipleship was formulaic, then, then it would be the same five-step process. Right. But it's There's not so discipleship is discipled. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's relational. And so the way that my wife and I help encourage each other to grow is different than the way that you and I would help each other grow because yeah. we're two different people. Yeah. And so and Heather and I are two different people. And so I think it has to be relational. So the way that God works with me is different than the way he's gonna work with you. He's gonna give me experiences. He's not giving you and vice versa. And through those experiences, he's going to help me and each of us become more like Jesus. So I don't, so, I don't know so if I can answer so, that So there's question. no cookie cutter process. I'm just clarifying. Yes. Oh, he was setting us up, wasn't he? Yeah. I was setting you up with yeah. that one. I said lightning round and you both looked at each other like, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I think of Paul when Paul sarcastically says, do not continue sinning lest grace may abound. I mean- that's clearly, is that the process? I mean, that's like the, the worst counseling, you know, like, wait, you're supposed right. to keep sinning? What, what's going well, on? I think the transformation is slow and it, and it ebbs and flows. Like we're going to have seasons of quick transformations and quick things and other seasons where it just feels like we're, we're doing the same thing over and over and we still can't get victory in it. So I think that would just be an encouragement for that process. Mm -hmm. Like you said, there's no cookie cutter. So it can be slow. It, it can have its highs and lows, but just keep going. So, so how do we match? I'm going to, I'm going to simplify this question a little bit from what I, I had written down, but how do we match our internal righteousness with our external righteousness? So we don't fall into the trap of the Pharisees. I don't think you have to match it at all. I mean, I think the internal takes care of the outside. I mean, that's why there's fruit of the spirit. So if the spirit so the internal will match the outside. Yeah. And essence. you don't have to force that. It'll the, just do the outside it. is the overflow of the inside, mm -hmm. regardless of if it's good or bad. Right. So if so let's have, go back to the Pharisees though. Like they were not washed on the inside, but the outside they made themselves look good. So what's how Well, you we... can you can you can mask it all you want to, but what Jesus did is he pointed out how their internal brokenness really came out okay. in external brokenness. Right. But they had all this religious yeah. traditional kind of behavior that they thought they could use to mask it. But it didn't work. This is, I love the lightning round. You guys give great answers on this lightning round stuff. So I, I've got one more question. Yep. I'll end with this because you talked about the pillar of fire. Mm -hmm. So um, how can the concept of Jesus being the pillar of fire, which is kind of what you were describing, expose and reveal our brokenness, apply to our daily lives? So how do we embrace that light that exposes the brokenness? Because I don't think anyone really wants to be broken, but yet mm. we all are. Yeah. So, so one of the things that light does is it just shines by itself. Mm -hmm. So if you invite light into your home, you don't have the choice um, to figuratively speaking, turn it on. I mean, if a light comes in your home, it's already on. So the only thing you've got to do is just say, Jesus, my home is your home. Take the throne of my heart and just do your work. And then he goes to work. You don't have to turn a switch on. You don't have to you know, go through a certain tradition or formula to yeah. activate yeah. the light of God. I mean, he, he is just simply light. And when you invite him in, he just shines on stuff. Yeah. And then you have to develop the ears to hear him and the eyes to see what he's doing in your life. So, so I, let me give you a practical example. Like last week I was invited to someone's home to pray over their home. And so we went room by room and prayed over those spaces and both invited Jesus in, but declared that space was, was part of God's kingdom. And I think, I think that's important for us in a practical sense. A lot of us live in spaces that we haven't said, okay, this is, this is Jesus's space. And then we wonder why we struggle in that space. Um, it's not about the four walls or the walls that are around us. It's more about uh, processing the fact that this is all God's, this is God's space. We're, we're not ritualizing it. Yeah. We're saying in our heart, you own this. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is yours, God. Yeah. Um, I'm giving you back what you already gave to me mm -hmm. um, in essence. So, um, 
Do you guys have more to add from Sunday? David's got, it looks like he's got something. No, I was just thinking about what you said. I think there's something powerful uh, when we speak things into existence. Um, Because there's a lot of times that, uh, you know, I I know God hears prayers in in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really hard for my heart to change when my mind's just thinking it. But there's something that happens when I speak what I feel like is needed. Um, That the actual words coming out of my mouth. Mm -hmm transforms my heart in a way that just thinking a prayer doesn't. So when you were talking about praying over your home and things like actually speaking that into existence and, and declaring that with your lips, I think there's a lot of power in that that I think we can miss out on. Um, and when you're talking about praying in the car, um, I've done that too. And there's something that happens when you pray out loud, you, you start praying and you start sensing the presence of God that you're like, wait a second. What, what is happening? I've never, I've never experienced this before. So just, a, just an aside, just an aside. I think um, we should all be, be a little bit more uh, verbal in our declarations over our homes, over our families, um, whatever that is. So. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So Eric, I'm going to close with one of the take-homes. I, I, I really appreciated the last take-home it said, don't give your enemy a key to your house. And I think we all can struggle with that at times. I know that um, there's many ways that we give our enemy the key to the house and we shouldn't do that. Um, and I think there's times where we act like Pharisees potentially. Um, and there's times that we're acting more um, as we're pursuing Christ um, more in a godly way or a holy way, um, both externally and internally. Um, you know, I, I think this is a very hard topic because it exposes when we're not okay. So I, I'm going to tell you an experience. The one time a week that I'm like, oh, do I really say how I'm feeling is Sunday morning, right? Because everyone walks by you. You ever go to church? Anyone go to church that's watching? Maybe. Um, you go to church, church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go to church and you're walking down a hallway and you don't have time, right? Because you got to get in service or you got to do this or you're going to serve. And someone says, how are you doing? And you go, good, good, without even thinking. And the reality is maybe you just yelled at your kids that morning or maybe something else is struggling or there's a difficulty in your life. I think sometimes as Christians, um, stop, pause, wait. Like those are things that I think we struggle with. And so that might be a way to not give the enemy a key to your house because you're actually responding to people that are genuinely caring. I don't think people ask that question without caring. So um, well, let's let's close with that. I, uh, I appreciate you guys being here. This has been a good week. Um, I do not want to be the Pharisees. There's a lot of woes in Luke chapter 11. Um, but thank you for being with us here on Church Unscripted. Remember to subscribe, hit the notification bell so you know when the episodes come up. Um, and also hit the like button, comment to interact with us this week. Um, we're so glad you're here with us and we're looking forward to seeing you next week.